Miscellaneous problems with Mormonism next on Polygamy. What love is this? ago, we discussed a newly released book, which was authored by Earl Erskine, entitled Fatal Flaws of the LDS Church. The book in, outlines many of the irreconcilable doctrinal issues and contradictions that Earl discovered in his journey to the truth as recorded in the Bible. Now, the final chapter of his book is entitled 27 Miscellaneous Problems, which we didn't cover in our initial discussion. So this time we're going to take a look at some of those 27 problems, again with Earl Erskine as guest and co-host and author of the book. Thanks for having me today. <laughs> and thank you. And we talked about maybe doing a, a separate uh, yeah. couple of shows based on just that chapter alone. Yeah. Yeah. So this is the time we're going to be doing do it. it. Okay. Uh, now, uh, many viewers, as I mentioned before, may wonder what the, how this is relative to the problems of polygamy, but we assure you that most of the beliefs of the LDS Church are also what Mormon polygamists believe. Now, of course, there are a few exceptions, but when we discuss the LDS faith, it is relative to the faith of Mormon fundamentalists. Now, the first section of this chapter is very important because it deals with Joseph Smith, who was the author of Mormon polygamy, so is relevant in our focus uh, to the polygamy culture. So you begin with a quote by Mark Twain, which is very appropriate <laughs> to our topic it and our discussions. Like it. <laughs> it is easier to fool people than to tell them they've been fooled. <laughs> and it's, I find that so true, don't yeah. you? And, yeah, and as soon as you bring up topics, and I think this is true of most of us that have left the church, that left the LDS church, we find it very difficult to bring topics up to people, members or our family and stuff, because they just don't want to hear about it. They don't want to. Is it pride, you think, or fear that keeps them from... They would have to admit they'd been fooled, and they don't want to do that. You know, as I look back on it, I think it's a lack of knowledge. I think they're just a little afraid that what they know is shallow, and what you have to say can't be that important, or they would know it. You know mm, what good I mean? point. Good and point. And so they don't want to hear anything negative. It's... It's disruptive. <laughs> mm -hmm. And disruptive in their thinking or in their belief? In their thinking, yeah. Uh, how many times have we heard ex-polygamists or ex-Mormons say, I can't believe I used to believe that? Well, that's it. Once you gain a little more knowledge <laughs> and you gain a little enthusiasm for looking behind and looking objectively at things, it, it is quite shocking. Mm -hmm. it, uh, it's surprising uh, that you could, could actually believe that and, and adhere to it so faithfully. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah that's true. <laughs> so we're going to talk about the odds and ends uh, that you didn't cover in the main portion of your book, and you divided them into three groupings, the first one being issues with Joseph Smith, which is what we're mm -hmm. going to try and cover this time. Yeah. And it begins with his outrageous boasts, and you have a quote from one of his boasts there that you wrote yeah, on page is, 238. Yeah, this is found actually <laughs> in the history of the church, so this isn't made up, although they're the apologists, and we may talk about that in a bit, but really have the concept or the idea that uh, maybe people didn't get it right, or Joseph Smith didn't approve it, or something. But mm -hmm. this is in the history of the church. Mm -hmm. He said, and, and by the way, this is the one that got Carla. 
<laughs> my wife. Oh, yeah, when that's right. Heard, when she heard this one, it just was, oh, well. That was okay, over the that, top for her. That was just enough. Yeah. I have more to boast of than any man ever any man had. I am the only man that has ever been able to keep a whole church together since the days of Adam. A large majority of the whole have stood by me. Neither Paul, John, Peter, nor Jesus ever did it. Mm. I boast that no man ever did such a work as I. The followers of Jesus ran away from him, but the Latter-day Saints never ran away from me yet. And like you said, it is in the history of the church yeah. in volume six. If anybody wants to check it out, please do so. Um, and and uh, the, the fact that they are documented, yes. even though the apologists will come out and say, well, they were misrepresented or whatever. They're yeah. still documented in yes, the uh, authorized history yeah. that he actually said that. So it's, um, I think it's very defendable from a critic's standpoint that uh -huh. he actually said those things. Uh -huh. And it sounds like Joseph Smith. He was very brash, very yeah. bold, and willing to... And we did a program long, many, many years ago uh, about this and documented the many people who did run from Joseph Smith. <laughs> That he did yeah, not keep them together like to, he boasted. Yeah, and when I heard those <laughs> names when I was an active member, I thought, how could they leave Joseph Smith? Yeah. How, how could they do that? But I think they started seeing through the through the mess mm -hmm. and through the inconsistencies. And the deceit, and, the, yeah, the lies, the especially about polygamy. Yeah. Um, one response I heard to justify his arrogance was that in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul boasted. Yeah. And and Christians are okay with that, so why we aren't we okay when Joseph, Joseph Smith, Smith boasted? But the Apostle Paul was boasting about his trials and his sufferings, mm -hmm. that, that he was suffering for the true gospel. All for Jesus. All for Jesus, <laughs> right. right. And he boasted in one passage a little bit about his Jewish heritage. He was just sure. actually outlining that he was a, right. a Pharisee of the Pharisees. But he never boasted about being better than or Jesus or doing more than Jesus did or even equal with yeah. Jesus. So and he probably boasting, could have almost with his almost. suffering and his, I mean, yeah. if, if that had been his inclination. Nation, but it right, wasn't right. He exactly, was, he was humble toward Jesus. He was humble. Right. I just don't think Joseph Smith. This this will come up again in our discussion today and next time. But Joseph Smith didn't have much fear of God. Yeah, I don't think he had I any fear know, of God, or he it, wouldn't it, have it, done the things he did. I almost wonder if he could have been atheistic, if in the sense of him not worrying about facing God someday. Well, I wonder about that because when he first started doing his heresy, his heretical statements, and he wasn't struck dead with a lightning bolt, he probably thought, oh, well, God doesn't care. And then you get to the point, well, God must not be there because he's not punishing me for all these lies. Yeah. And, and got, So maybe he didn't. Got away with a lot of stuff. Oh, he sure did. But uh, we have another boast on page 239. Yeah. I combat the errors of the ages. I meet the violence of mobs. I cope with illegal proceedings from executive authority. I cut the Gordian knot of powers and I salve, solve, I think, I'm sorry, mathematical problems of universities with truth, diamond truth, and God is my right hand Ooh, man. Ooh, <laughs> that's, that's really that's, something. That's pretty good. Isn't I it? wonder what mathematical problems he solved. Have you found any that, that no. they brought to him as the great mathematician to solve certain problems? No, I've never heard heard that. And you know, it it points too that he's fairly well read to know the, know about the Gordian knot. Uh -huh. I mean, this is something to throw that out in a conversation is, yeah. is interesting. Yeah. And he was he had access to to the libraries, and I think he had an uncle or somebody who was a professor, didn't he? 
Yeah, I don't, don't know that. I know some of, some of the family taught. But you know, this has to do with polygamy too. I mean, here he really was committing adultery. Mm-hmm. He called it polygamy, but it was just adultery. That's what it was. And, and That's all it was. Fornication and whatever you want to throw at that. Mm-hmm. Just very bold, very mm-hmm. willing to And when he found out himself. people believed him, then the, the further he went with yeah. his atrocities, so Kept to speak. Kept it quiet for a while, and then he spread it out to... Yeah, certain people. people to enjoy, I guess. <laughs> anyway, um, the second issue that you have regarding him are his claims to have seen God. Yeah. Now, he wrote that it was impossible to see God uh, without the priesthood, but then he did say that he saw God when he didn't have the priesthood. Yeah. And we're going to quote from section 84 of the Doctrine and Covenants, authored yeah. by Joseph Smith. And what's, again, what's interesting is this is some many years after the 1820 vision that he supposedly saw the Father and the Son. Do you think he forgot? Well, (laughs) what I wrote here was it's hard to cover all the aspects of a lie. You have to keep lying to cover all your lies. You have to keep being aware of of things. So he says, Therefore, in the priesthood ordinances thereof, the power of God is manifest, and without the ordinances thereof and the authority of the priesthood, the power of godliness is not manifest unto men in the flesh. If it had stopped there, it would have been okay. But he finally says, <laughs> for without this, no man can see the face of God, even the Father, and live. Okay. And so, oops. Yeah. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And I think you're right. How, how do you keep track of all the lies when you start covering up for one thing and another? Then you introduce a doctrine that contradicts yeah. something you claimed way back when. And, and I kind of felt like this was true of the Book of Mormon changes. Uh-huh. You know, the ones that, where he changed the Father or, or the Son, where Jesus is the, is the Father or Jesus is God, and then mm-hmm. he, he wrote Jesus is the Son of God. It seemed, and those happened in First Nephi, mm-hmm. chapter 11 and chapter 13. It just seemed to me he probably got to that point and says, you know what, I can't go through the rest of this book trying to make the necessary changes to what I believe now. I just think he had to stop making these Kind of got convoluted in, yeah. his, in his thinking there. Yeah, huh? he, he said, well, <laughs> I just can't. I don't have the time to go through the whole Book of Mormon to make all the corrections right, I right, need right. to. Right, right, right. But uh, has anyone ever accounted for this inconsistency in, uh, in the church uh, and these claims or, or deceptive claims? You know, I've looked it. up in the last few days, actually looked up a number of encyclopedia things, references to Section 84, and they don't address that issue. They address the ordinances and the temple and the importance of the priesthood and all that stuff that Mm -hmm. he talks about, but they never really say, they never relate it back to him seeing the Father in 1820 and mm, then later not being able to see the Father. There's a lot the of critics that talk about it. I wonder why they don't address it. Yeah. Well, that's true. I don't know, but I couldn't find anything on it. Huh, I'm sure there must be. I did go to the fair, one that we see, <coughs> look at all the time, usually the fair LDS or whatever mm-hmm. it's called, Yeah. and their their website was down, so I couldn't look that oh, up really? there. But, yeah. Oh, okay. So, well, we, we might be able to address that another time then. <laughs> Perhaps. <laughs> now, the third problem that you uh, see about Joseph Smith is his storytelling. Now, storytelling in and of itself is really yeah. not a bad thing. Yeah, this isn't necessarily a problem, but it's, a, it's an uh, indication that he had a vivid imagination uh-huh. and that he was willing to share things. and so It would coincide with the character of the 
stories yeah. he tells right. to make and it a religion. Have, have him be able to be so flippant or conversant with that kind of uh, that wording, and then to have the Book of Mormon reflect that same mm -hmm. kind of background is kind of interesting, too. I, I was thinking the other day, <clears throat> if he had sold the Book of Mormon as a fictional novel, <laughs> rather than made a religion out of it, I wonder made. what would have happened. That's interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Impossible. Should his we, mother. Were you going to yeah. quote something his mother said yeah, about him? Yeah, his mother said, During our evening conversations, and Joseph Smith Jr., or Joseph Jr., would occasionally give us some of the most amusing recitals that could be imagined. He would describe the ancient inhabitants of the continent, their dress, mode of traveling, and the animals on which they rode, their cities, their buildings, with every particular, their mode of warfare, and also their religious worship. This he would do with as much ease, seemingly, as if he had spent his whole life among them. I wonder if that tells us that he did in, go inhabit libraries very often and get well, into I'm the sure fictional section, history section. I'm sure section. he must have, and there were a lot of, probably a lot of other yeah, things that he read and studies that they had about the Indians. And uh -huh. They were very near <coughs> the Indian Right, it was early in America the, history. Yeah, okay. So I'm sure they had some... Back well, and, and there were knowledge. still Indians around. That's what I mean. Yeah. So they were around. They had their tribal things. Maybe he was able to listen in on some of their stories. And yeah. He was very... Uh, so he had the gift of storytelling. So the difficulty like isn't the storytelling. No. It's just that it, it's an indication that he, he was able to, with his vivid imagination, make... Uh, make use of that to and write some, a book of some Mormon. real wonderful stories like yeah. the angel with the flaming sword come and threaten to kill him if he didn't get into polygamy that's right and he was already a polygamist when he told that story so right. why would that even happen to start with and the story of the gold plates I mean that's really quite an adventure and we'll talk a little bit about that uh, as we go through some of these issues now the Book of Mormon has been scrutinized very closely by various sure. people in in numerous ways and the evidence reveals that it isn't historical but that it is the product of a 19th century mind. Uh, and his knack for telling tales is evident in the Book of Mormon. Yeah. It's, it's just there. Maybe that's why there's little official church doctrine in the Book of Mormon. <laughs> that's true. And there is very little uh, official doctrine in the church. In the Book, in of, the Mormon. Book of Mormon. Yeah. yeah, but it's mostly storytelling that's not doctrinal. So um, the fourth point is very important in my own mind. Growing up, of course, we were told of the big adventure Joseph Smith had yeah. in retrieving the gold plates sure. and running from the people who would steal them from him or hurt him and harm him and hide them away so thieves couldn't get at him and yeah. the, the whole story thing. That's right. But your question is, what role did the gold plates really play? And we quote from page two hundred and forty. Yeah, and I didn't have any of I didn't know any of this before. And the other part of this story is that. Joseph Smith, um, Nephi, back in the day, he had to kill Laban to get his brass plates. Uh -huh. And then Moroni and Mormon and all these prophets, of, supposed prophets of, the, of Nephites and Lamanites, they uh, preserved these records. That was so important to them to maintain these records. And so, and then Moroni buries them, presumably, and then later gives them to Joseph Smith. And then we read what David Whitmer says. Joseph Smith would put the seer stone in a hat and put and exclude the light. One character at a time would appear, 
and under it was the interpretation in English. The character I speak of are the engravings on the gold plates from which the book was translated. In other words, there, his head in the hat, looking at a seer stone, rather than using the gold plates. And historian Grant Palmer wrote, there's no evidence that Joseph Smith ever translated a document as we would understand that phrase. Joseph Smith never used the plates in dictating the Book of Mormon. If we accept the idea that he dug up a real physical record, then we must account for the fact that he never used it in the translation process. <laughs> Um, and yet we still see pictures of him yeah. at the table. I think they may be changing a few of those Taking now some of them down. Yeah. More, more obvious that he did have a head in the hat. Well, they came out. The, the church came out with a picture of the seer stone in the, in yeah. the newspaper. They finally admitted it. Admitting. It had been found yeah. back by a BYU student doing a master's thesis. And um, so now they found these stones. And so it's just a... Just a confusion. It and is a confusion, but what role then did they play? Well, I don't believe they ever existed, actually. I don't either. If there were plates, they were hidden under a sheet. And as I think Martin Harris said, he said he never really saw the plates as you would see them. Or I didn't see this pencil as I as it is there, he said, I saw it in my mind's eye. Yeah, he's not in, the, in his spiritual eyes think, yeah, or something. So Joseph Smith, I I think, had a way of uh, transforming these people's minds or making them think. Well, now close your eyes and picture of gold plates, and okay, wow, I see them, you know. And and I think maybe that was part of the illusion or something. And it goes back to the other arguments that have been discussed through the years. We've discussed, and as many, many, many other people have as well, the, the weight of the plates. He couldn't possibly have carried them had That's they been true. gold. Um, if they were as gold as, as he claims, then they couldn't have held the, the writings on them without pressing yeah. them down and, and obliterating them. And yeah. several other inconsistencies with, yeah. with the story. Yeah, yeah he... Um, and all of the people that were, basically all the people that were uh, witnesses to the plates were all family members. Yeah. You know. And, yeah. But, so. Yeah. Um, so there really is no honest answer um, to, I mean, there, there's been given no honest answer by the LDS Church itself. Yeah. And I never, never hear of what the leaders of polygamy groups have to say with these problems oh, because I'm they sure. believe the same Joseph Smith stories sure. as the LDS church and but I have yet to understand or hear of any of their um, explanations and for it, these we may find it when we all pass on how amusing it is that that God would have or Jesus or Moroni would take back the gold plates to heaven yeah you know yeah. I don't don't necessarily expect to see gold plates in heaven. No, <laughs> so. no I don't think so either. Um, another question <clears throat> that deserves an answer, and it's on the same topic, is on page 243 about the seer stone. Uh, and it's something that bothered you after you discovered <laughs> the truth. Yeah. If the seer stone, which is now in the church archives, is actually a powerful tool for prophecy, why haven't the subsequent presidents of the LDS Church ever been known to use it in their prophetic callings. It seems to me that if such a tool really did work, as Joseph Smith claimed it did, 
then it should be used by those who claim to have inherited Joseph Smith's keys of prophetic calling. <laughs> and I wonder if there is a believable answer to this. It's a, it's a very legitimate question. Yeah. Uh, if it really worked, yeah. why have they hidden it away and not used it? Right. Yeah. And you think of some of the past... Um, I, I think of, of uh, when the bombings was taking place, when Gordon oh, Hinckley was president, yeah. you know, and, and why did they agree to, um, to something that was obviously not true? If they had the seer stone, it would have told them that, they, that it wasn't true. Did yeah. Why didn't they use it? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. I just think it's all up in Joseph Smith's head, yeah. and that's why it couldn't be. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Put his head in the hat. Could be duplicated by current, uh, later prophets and so on. Well, it makes you wonder, uh, and and maybe this is just, you know, losing time thinking about things like this. I don't know, <laughs> but he put his he put the seer stone in a hat and then put his head in the hat to keep right. all the light from going in. And then that's when the characters supposedly would show up and. But what was what? Where was these words coming from then? I mean, if the seer stone didn't really work, and I don't believe it did either, where? Well, would, of course, he claimed it did, and right. the words would show up on the seer stone, I guess. But he was dictating. Well, he was reading off the, supposedly reading off the English word from but if the, the word reformed didn't really, Egyptian. If it didn't really come. Well, no, we believe it didn't come, but he he was telling people it did right. come. Right. No, I don't think he. I don't think it did come, but then... That. Where did he get the words then, in reality? Did I, he have them memorized from another... I, that's a good question. That's probably a real disturber for, <laughs> for even the critics of yeah. the church. Um, was he that good was at he making that good things at up? Making, being able to write a 500-page book yeah. uh, with some kind of... I don't know. I mean, if he had other resources, the Spalding manuscript or other resources yeah, that he did, yeah. then I don't know. That's a good question. <laughs> It'd be interesting. I'll be interested to see the know. video on that one. Yeah, me in too. Heaven. <laughs> so there's really been no believable answer given to this observation by the, the, no. the people who defend no. Joseph Smith. No. Your fifth point is Joseph Smith's membership in the Methodist Church. Yeah, this is kind of a long, maybe drawn out kind of thing or in a way, but Joseph Smith applied for membership in the Methodist Church, but because of his necromancy and his gold digging and treasure hunting and all that, they actually didn't allow him to join the Methodist Church. But actually, he, was he did join. Oh, and then but they wanted out. him. They wanted him to give up one or the other. Oh, and then he didn't. And give it up. he gave up. <laughs> okay. But his, the point was is that he was told in 1820 not to join any of the churches. Yeah. And so six years later or so he joins. Now, Emma, I think everyone believes that she belonged to the Methodist Church. Uh -huh. And that may have been why he did. finally yeah. why he did it. But you would think that God would, if he had have really told him not to join any of the churches, that he would have. Well, if he saw God face to face, yeah. like you and I are looking at each other, and God said, don't join any church, and then he turns around I and does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so that's, that was squirrely. <laughs> and, 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 and he was asked to leave because of his occultic activities by the yeah. pastor of the right. church, the Methodist pastor. And I think that the story goes that, that the pastor said, you have to choose between membership or your occultic activities. You have to give up one or the other. He gave up the church. And he gave up 
the church because he wanted to hold on to all of these. Yeah. And, and it must have been um, very powerful for him. A cultic can have real power. It's not power from God, but yeah. it can have real power. And he knows he has power over people. He's already proven yeah. that. Yeah, he's comfortable. He doesn't want to give that up. Yeah. Okay. Um, number six asks the question, are revelations from God, men, or the devil? Now, the background story on this right. needs to be told before we get into our discussion. Right. And, and it is that Joseph Smith wanted to sell the copyright of the Book of Mormon in Canada. Right. He thought he had some buyers, I think, in Canada to, that would buy the copyright of the Book of Mormon. Mm -hmm. And so he sent uh, Oliver Cowdery and a couple of others up there. And this is what he wrote and is uh, what David Whitmer wrote about the experience. Some of the brethren asked Joseph Smith how he could have received a revelation from God to sell the copyright. And I guess the, we should point out they went to Canada and then they couldn't sell it. Right. Or didn't sell it. Right. So get a revelation from the Lord to sell the copyright and yet it not come to pass. And Joseph Smith is said to have stated, some revelations are from God, some revelations are of men, and some revelations are of the devil. If this is the case, what confidence can we possibly put in the words of a prophet who, by his own admission, doesn't know if he's speaking for God, for man, or even for the devil? What confidence can we have, then, of anything that Joseph Smith claimed as a revelation from God? And that's a very good point. Uh, when I first read that, it was I, I never heard of it yeah, until after I was well into my own Christian research. Yeah. Did you ever hear of it? No, I he hadn't heard that one. Faithful member of the church. No. I should have read this David Whitmer address. <laughs> yeah, a time, yeah, a long time ago, but yeah, I didn't. It's a good, it's a good one for yeah, sure. Yeah. Uh, is there an official answer to this? No, um, no, not really. Um, no, I don't. I don't <laughs> know of one. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard of one either, except that they're say, claiming he didn't really say it. Oh. That he really wouldn't have said that. It's about the only thing that I've read about that. Oh. Well, we're out of time. Um, we have more to talk about. So okay. we're going to do a part two on this right. and uh, discuss more, maybe a little bit more about this and then some other things that Joseph Smith uh, claimed. So thank you for oh, sharing. My and pleasure. Thank more, you. Sharing your heart here. That's what it is. <laughs> your, your journey. You know, a couple of months ago, a submersible, uh, submersible vehicle named the Titan was destroyed in the depths of the ocean as it was investigating the Titanic. Over 1,500 people had perished when the Titanic struck an iceberg, and when the D Titan disaster happened, five people perished. But those who trusted in these man-made vessels had put their faith in something they thought could not fail, but it did fail. They placed their faith in the wrong object, and they perished. This holds true with our own personal faith in God. Is it the true God, the biblical Jesus? Is it the incorruptible gospel? Many people have faith, but in the wrong thing. The Mormon Jesus is the brother of the devil. The Mormon God is just another of many gods living in yonder heavens with multiple wives. Their faith is strong, but it's in the wrong object. Their Jesus is just a myth. We urge you to turn from Joseph Smith, from polygamy, and from Mormon objects of faith, and embrace the truth that's found only in the biblical Jesus. Thank you for watching. This has been the audio podcast of Polygamy, What Love Is This? with host Doris Hansen. 
Polygamy, What Love Is This? is produced by A Shield and Refuge Ministry. More information on this program, including the video version of it, can be found at whatloveisthis.tv. If you have any questions or need help getting free from Mormon fundamentalism, write us at contact at shieldandrefuge.org or call us at 1-800-877-425-9993.